You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. So a couple weeks ago, I flew to Calgary with Flair. I don't know if everybody, anybody's flown Flair before. I was thankful I got a seatbelt that I didn't have to pay for, okay? With Flair, you just, you pay for everything, okay? But a fascinating thing was, and I think this is the first time I had noticed this before, was uh, there's all the flight attendants there welcoming us on, and they're really friendly. And then um, the flight attendant, there's two at the front, and so everybody's looking there. And one of the guys that was there, this must have been his first flight ever, okay? And the reason that I could know that was because he was, like all the other flight attendants were kind of like cheering him on, like, hey, you can do this, man, it's your first one. And with every little announcement, he'd pick up the little telephone, you know, they got the old telephone that they're still making their announcements with, and then he would have his iPhone out, and he would read out the instructions, okay? So, you know, grab the thing in front of you. And then when it came to the really long safety explanation, he was reading it word for word, and all the flight attendants and all of us, because he's at the front, are watching him. And then when he got to the end, you know, it was like perspiring almost, we all just gave him a round of applause, you know, just like, you did it, you know. No standing ovation, because our seatbelts were buckled, but we were just thankful that he made it. And um, it just got me thinking, the start of a new career, maybe. First day, maybe it was his last day, I don't know. It was his first day on the job, and everyone's kind of watching. The text this morning is about work. And I don't know if you know this, but you will spend, if you live an average lifespan, you will spend about 90,000 hours of your life working. That's about one-third of your life will be spent working. So your understanding of work and the way you think about work is going to affect a huge section of your life. And it's going to affect the way that you interact with people within that context of work, whatever it is. And so the Apostle Paul in our teaching here this morning is going to go into something that is very practical and that is something that is prominent in all of our lives on a regular basis. Author Annie Dillard wrote this, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So work is a big deal, and it's a big part of what you do in your life and what I do. So this morning, we're going to... um, we're going to actually spend a lot of time building up to the passage. Normally, most weeks, we spend a lot of time in the passage. But I, I want to set some context for work in our lives from a biblical perspective. And then we're going to come to Paul's teaching in Ephesians. So we're going to walk our way up there. So we're going to look at work in three ways. The first is this, this is if you're taking notes or if you just want to track along. I know nobody's going to fall asleep because it's too cold in here to fall asleep. So, but if you're tracking along with the details of the sermon, it's this. Work as a gift, work as calling, and work as a theater. Work as a gift, work as a calling, and work as a theater. Now, you might be thinking this first point, work as a gift. You know, like, Everybody you know, and maybe yourself included, is just like, I'm waiting for Friday, you know, like, just want to get done with this terrible thing called work. 
which maybe you or maybe you know people, like I know a bunch of people who hate what they do. They just can't stand what they're doing. So they're just like, get me through this thing that is torturous and get me to the good thing, which is relaxing or you know, watching football or whatever it is. So here, my first point is that work is actually a gift to us. And the Bible itself opens with God working and and giving us an example of work in process. So if you have a Bible or on your phone, just look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses there that help us set the stage and help us understand God's view on work. So in Genesis chapter 1, God goes through this process of creating everything. He creates the world around us. Everything we have is the product of God's work. So even all the things that we build, we build from the resources that God has created in the beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it reads this way. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So God on day one, two, three, four, five, six is creating and making all of these things. And when we see his example, when we see how he does it, it comes to the end of this week here and it says that it's very good. God actually experiences something that we can experience as well in work and that is the satisfaction of accomplishing something. Now, I don't know what your work is. Some work is just, it just keeps going. A lot of the tasks at home, they just keep going. You know, like laundry just keeps piling up. Uh, In wintertime, you know, shoveling the driveway if the snow ever comes, whatever that is, or doing dishes. There's some things that just constantly keep coming. But even in those repetitious jobs, there are moments where you can experience the satisfaction of it being finished. I mean, I just experienced it yesterday. Uh, A normal weekend tradition for me is Saturday mornings, I'm on the kitchen. That is my job. I do all the dishes, kind of finish it all up. And when that's all done and everything is wiped down, I know it's not going to last long, but there's just like a moment there where it's all clean and there's just like satisfaction. It looks really good. And then 30 seconds later, it's dirty again, you know. But that moment of satisfaction is actually what God is putting on display for us here. God has experienced that first. Before we enter into this gift of work, God has actually done this work and he is satisfied. It is very good what he has made. He's experiencing the satisfaction of work. But not only that. So if that was it for work, work is a gift. It's satisfying. We get to enjoy that. That's, that'd be wonderful. But there's more to the story there. There's a lot more. We can't go into all the details of it. But there's actually this um, beauty that is created through God's work. God actually makes something that is wonderful for the rest of us to enjoy, the the pleasantness and the beauty of what he makes. So in chapter 2, verse 9, this is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, 
And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I love this idea that God made something that was pleasant for us to look at. Something that was beautiful. Something that was good for us to taste and eat. It brought pleasure to us. So not only is there this inner satisfaction of work, but there's also beauty. And, and we can bring that then into the context of work. I, I enjoy uh, architecture and buildings. So recently I, I saw this a new theater that was built in New York City, and I was all just excited about it, watching these little videos. This is the Perelman Theater, which is brand new in New York City, right beside the 9-11 memorial. It's got... 5,000 slices of Portuguese marble covering it. And at nighttime, it's lit up, so they're, they're thin enough that the light comes through it. And I just thought, um, we can make things, actually, that are beautiful. And we can observe things that are wonderful. There's another uh, artist that I like, Patrick Doherty. He makes stick sculptures. He, makes these, he takes these thin little sticks and works them around and kind of twists them together. And then he creates these art installations that just look amazing. The next slide kind of shows a, a, just this like putting this, these sticks. Okay, this is just sticks, right? You're like, I could do that. I can twist sticks together. Maybe you could. I don't know. But don't lose the fact here in Genesis chapter 2 that God gives us through work the gift of beauty, the gift of being, to, being able to create something. And so when you think of the context of work, rather than thinking first of drudgery, think of this entering into what God has actually done himself first, entering into the satisfaction of work, and even into the, the making of something. Now, you might not be an artist making you know, something like this, but the work that you do contributes actually to the beauty and to the functioning of the world around you. So this work that you do is a gift to yourself and to the world. So Genesis goes on and actually makes very clear that work is not only something that God has done and given to us, but it's actually something that God has mandated for us to do. And throughout Scripture, the calling is, you're made to work. God has actually created you so that your part of your existence here is actually that work would be a part of it. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 27, we have this, this mandate from God to actually do work. In verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God here says, This is part of how I've designed you to be on this planet. You're to fill and subdue the planet. 
So many people think of like that filling mandate is like, okay, you're supposed to have children and you're supposed to increase, and that's definitely a part of it. But there's also the sense of you're to like, to fill it, make cities, make towns, create culture, go out there and fill this world with all kinds of wonderful things. That's part of God's design for us. When we make life, we're actually creating all this stuff that God has made us to create. And then we're also called to subdue this world. So we actually harness the power of the world through our work for the good of ourselves and for the good of cultures and societies around us. Ben Witherington, the author, says this, it is perfectly clear that God's good plan always included human beings working, or more specifically, living in the constant cycle of work and rest. Work and rest. This is the cycle that God has given to us by design, by example. We see here in Genesis that God has given this gift of work to us. So, work as a gift, but secondly also, work as calling. So, there may be a specific way that each of us is called to live out the work that we are doing. Every single one of us, whether you work with your hands or whether you work with your brain on a computer, whatever it is, all of us, probably if you look at your hands, have some scars. You have cuts. You have... I'm assuming everybody's got one somewhere, right? A scar, something that you've done. Um, my latest one was from Darren, actually, okay? It was a gift from Darren, uh, doing some work around the church here, and it's turning into a lovely one, okay? And basically, the world that we live in is full of toil and trouble. We get cuts, we bleed, things are difficult. In the Genesis narrative, work is given to us. It's a, it's a pre-fall gift to us. Okay, so work is not the result of the fall. Work is before the fall. It's a gift to us from God. It is for our good. But Adam and Eve fall into sin, and the result then of their sin is many things, one of them being death, but the other is that life becomes more difficult. And the work that we do gets harder. And so the Bible describes it as thistles, we could describe it as blisters, cuts, headaches, anxiety. I mean, go down the list. The, the sinfulness of humankind has come to rest through work itself, which makes work very difficult. Even in our context, if you go to Ephesians, you can see there that in the context of this passage, it begins with a word that many of us are really uncomfortable with, and that is the word slaves. Slaves. In the context here of Ephesians 6, Paul is talking to a culture that still has a slave owner and slave relationship existing. It's a text in Ephesians that um, Christians in the past have used to, you know, legitimize slavery. And others who are opposed or who hate Christianity would say, this is why I hate Christianity, because they would say the Bible is pro-slavery. So within the context of what Paul is writing to, it's really important to understand that the 
Roman view of slavery was very different from what we understand as modern-day slavery. It's very different from the slavery that maybe we're most familiar with would be the slavery that happened uh, primarily in the United States where African people were kidnapped and brought over for slavery. That's mostly prominent in our mind. Slavery in the Roman world was very different. It was still a ownership system. So a slave was still owned by his slave owner. But the relationship between those two was much more like a employee-employer relationship. So slaves would have a job within a household, and they would actually carry with them the status of the owner of the household. So if the owner of the household was a shopkeeper or a farmer or whatever they were, a politician, this slave would also have the same category in society as this person. The slave would do the work often willingly. They would often choose to actually stay within that context because there would be, after a certain amount of time or for various reasons, or even the owner themselves would say, hey, you can go, you can leave. But the slaves would often stay within that context if it was a healthy working relationship. So slavery in Paul's day, what he's addressing is much more like an employee-employer relationship. But it does show the curse of sin going not only into the physical work that we do, but even into the world structures of employment around us. Sin has affected on so many levels. So work as calling, what do we mean by that then? That you know, within this kind of broken system of work that God could actually have a specific place where you should be, maybe where you can even thrive most. Jeff Bezos, who I don't know as a Christian, I kind of don't think so, but in 2018 when he was receiving an award, he said this, I tell my kids you can have a job, you can have a career, or you can have a calling. You want the calling, whatever that is, because that is when you're, eight, when you're 80 or 90 years old, in a quiet moment of reflection, telling yourself the most intimate version of your life story, what do you want to have? You want to have meaning in your life. You have to have had a calling. So Jeff Bezos, second richest person in the world, um, I just want to say he's Stealing this from Christianity, okay? This is, stole, this is a stolen idea, okay? This idea of calling comes to us from God's view of work for us, that God has made work for us, and that God has actually designed us in a certain way, and that design is with intention. There's reason behind it. And so the calling that Bezos is talking about is also something that is within the Christian faith. Martin Luther was very well known for um, bringing this idea out. So when Martin Luther, a monk who was you know, living in the world and seeing how Christians were acting, he saw that people were not understanding this idea of calling because basically during his time is there was only one kind of work that was valid. The only kind of work was Christian work. So the work of priests and nuns and monks, that was the only work that counted. And all other work was just drudgery. And Martin Luther said, that is not true. That is not the reality. That is not God's vision for us. 
Martin Luther actually used the scriptures to point out that God has a different reality on work. That there's actually calling to what we're doing. And Martin Luther said, the Lord's Prayer alone points us to this reality. So he says, the Lord's Prayer says this, give us our daily bread. Remember that line? The Lord's Prayer says, give us our daily bread. And Martin Luther said, all that it takes to bring us our bread is what we're praying for. The planting of the seeds in the field, the harvesting of the seeds, the milling of that seed, the hand that is pulling the bread together, all these different pieces, all that work, that's what the Lord's prayer is actually addressing when it's saying, give us our daily bread. So Martin Luther said, if that's what we're praying for, that must mean that God actually has a specific work to do through our hands. So he said, he famously said, God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaids. So all the work that is being done from the farmer milking the cow all the way up to the one who sells the bread, each part is actually a calling, is a specific work that God has for us to do. So whether it's the work that we are experiencing or the work that God is specifically calling us to do, we are called to do it well. Dorothy Sayers says this, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling them is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. So rather than seeing religion as just this thing that is only concerned about your moral life and all the choices you make in relation to sin, Dorothy Sayers is saying there's actually a, another level. There's another level that we need to be aware of. And that is that the work that we do needs to be done well and is actually contributing to the work of God's kingdom in the world around us. So the one-third of your life is not just something to get through. The one-third of your life is not just, you know, so that you can make money so someday you can stop working, you know? It's actually to build God's kingdom wherever you are to be the presence of God in the place where you are working. And when you work within your calling, you actually feel the satisfaction and the passion at a greater level, and the people around you can experience the kingdom of God on another level as well, through your work. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm, okay, I don't want to, name a job here that maybe will seem like, you know, you can't make beauty out of it, okay? But I have seen that you can make beauty out of any job that is out there, okay? And I was thinking this week, what are all the jobs that are represented in our church, you know? We got like roofers in this church, we got farmers in this church, we got programmers in this church. I know we've got a bunch of nurses in this church, okay? We've got like all kinds of different jobs in this church. All of them can be used by God to build his kingdom, to further his kingdom, and to bring the beauty of the gospel actually into workplaces. A greater vision, a sense of calling. So 
really quickly here, if you are struggling to find your calling, now I'm, I'm not like a, a life coach here or anything, but I just want to suggest three things, okay, to, to do in order to find out what is your calling. And the first is this, experience. So or there's trial and error in work. Try all kinds of different works and see if you find your passion over time. Experience different kinds of work environments and different ways of working with your mind or with your hand. The second, evaluate it. How did that go? Maybe it's very quickly understood that did not go well. I hate that job, okay? But maybe more importantly, don't count on your opinion only. Ask other people. Ask other people, how did that go? So that you can learn again more about your own passions and about how you work. And then the third is this, educate yourself. You can read books, you can watch YouTube videos, you can learn from others about how to find your passion and your calling so that you can live out with, with greatest effectiveness your gifting as a person and your contribution to creating culture and goodness and beauty around you. So experience, evaluate, educate. Okay, last, work as a theater. Both my father and my father-in-law worked in the same work for their whole careers. For their whole careers, they worked at the same place. And they both worked for unions, and they both retired with pensions. Those days, for most of us, are dead and gone, right? Even the idea of working in one place is very, very rare for many people. I looked it up this week. The, the average person now in North America is going to have 12 different jobs in their lifetime, in their career. 12 different jobs. And the average length of time that people stay at a job is four years. Four years. So 12 different jobs over four years. So maybe, you're, maybe now you're thinking, you just told us that we have a calling. You know, like that we can actually find a calling. Is that like true or is that not true? Is there, is there 12 callings in my life or is there 20? I don't know what it is. I'm standing by the calling thing, okay? But the reality is that many of us will experience many different types of work environments. And the point is that all the work that we do and all the work that we go into is meant to be actually a, a theater, a theater for people to see us in. And you may not like being watched, but part of what it means to be a Christian is to have a life that is watched by others. In Ephesus... I think uh, Harold had a picture of it. I don't have a picture of it, but there is this grand theater there that, that seats thousands of people. It's still there from the Roman times where actors would come and they would work out this you know, play or orators would come and give speeches and people would watch them. And our lives are actually called to be like a theater production where God is fulfilling his purposes through us, and people are watching us. Philippians chapter 2 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
you shine like lights in the world, meaning people are looking at you and your life experience is actually making a difference. You're noticed, you're noticed, you're seen. People can actually see what you're doing in the workplace, in the one-third of your life. They're actually seeing the impact of a person who has been transformed by Jesus Christ. So even though you may get the opportunity, you find your calling, you're in the sweet spot, many of us realize that there's seasons of life where you don't get to choose actually your calling, where you just gotta work, you just gotta pay the bills, you gotta go to work, you gotta put in your time. There's this sense of like duty that is there, it needs to be done. I'm not in my sweet spot of calling, but work needs to be done, so there I am. And Paul says, there's a word for you, there's a teaching for you that will actually sustain you and that will still allow you to be on display, on the theater, so that people can see you working, even in a situation that might not be your ideal, but you're working and you are shining, your light is shining. So in our text this morning, we see Paul again brings this revolutionary teaching. So he says in verse 9 that all the things related to work are actually for slaves and for masters, which is revolutionary, that Paul would address both these groups with the same teaching. So employers, bosses, and employees, the teaching is the same. Paul says the, the revolution of the cross has come and it turns things upside down and so now here is the teaching and Paul says this, verses five through nine is the teaching then and we won't read everything but I just wanna point out one thing that Paul anchors everything to and that is that God is actually our greatest motivation in work. God is our greatest motivation in work. So look at the text, what Paul is saying. Look at verse five where he talks to slaves there. He says to obey your masters and he says, as you would Christ. So Paul says, you've got this relationship. Your master is telling you what to do. Obey him, but here's what you have in mind. It's Christ, actually, that you're obeying. That's your mindset. Look at verse 6. Not for eye service, so don't do your work just for, for people pleasing, but as bond servants of Christ. That's why you do your work. Whatever you do, from mopping to creating art, whatever it's done, you do it to Christ. Verse 7. All the work that you do, as to the Lord. Verse 8. Whatever good that you do as from the Lord. Verse 9, specifically, specifically to masters. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven. Paul is, is saying, whatever circumstance you're in when it comes to work, your primary motivation the thing that keeps you going in faithful work is that Christ is the central motivator. That the one that you're doing any work for is God himself. And the reason why you should be the best boss on the planet if you're a boss, or the reason why that you are the best employee, whatever space you're in, 
It's not because the, the bonuses are pouring in. It's not because the thank you notes are rolling in. Those things are wonderful. And if you have the power to put those things into action, do all that. But Paul says there is something greater that sustains you and gives you hope and gives you purpose and energy to keep going in your work. And it's that God has saved you and has made you and that you know him. That is the greatest motivation for all of us in the arena of work. So that then, when we do that, the thing that gets noticed in us, the good work, whatever it is, we have opportunities then to point people to the reason why we do that. The reason why. And it's so that Christ is glorified. So no matter what job we're in, we can find satisfaction. And I know many people who struggle with the job they're in and, and struggle with satisfaction. And no matter what job we're in, we can do the best work possible that we can do. No matter what job we're in, we can actually bring beauty and hope into that workspace. Paul says every believer can do this because of the work that God has done in and through us. It's amazing that 2,000 years ago, and we're going to be celebrating this at Christmas, um, Christ came, God came in the flesh and grew up as a little boy, baby, and then a teenager, and then he grew into a man. And he grew to have a job. The, the word that is used is that Jesus was a craftsman. Now, it does say specifically that Joseph, his father, was a carpenter. So many people think Jesus was also a carpenter, which probably is the case. But Jesus was a craftsman. He worked with his hands, and he made beautiful work. And when it came to the most difficult work that he had to do, that assignment came from his heavenly father. And Jesus went to the cross faithfully to the end. And even at the end, when nobody was with him, after the garden, it says that all the disciples, all of them fleed. So nobody's there cheering Jesus on. Nobody's there with him. Everybody abandons him. But Jesus stayed to the task. He stayed at it, and we are able now to work and to be a part of his kingdom as it's built around us only because Christ stayed. And so for that, we're thankful, and we follow his example. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your example. We thank you for this teaching on work. Lord, would you... Uh, continue to give us a, a godly perspective on a huge part of our lives. And may we work faithfully and diligently, securely, knowing that we serve one Lord and Savior. We do everything for an audience of one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.